welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. Good to be with you, Paul. I'm very... Yeah, go on, go on. Some very happy news. Uh, on DICE, so that's our sort of work internet, uh, the results of a poll have been uh, finalised and completed. Well, is this a Christmas poll? Has this got a Christmas flavour to it? Well, absolutely. Yes. It asks the question, is Die Hard a Christmas film? Mm. And by a landslide majority of four, so 14 in favour and 10 against, yeah. uh, staff on DICE voted that it is a Christmas film. Yeah, that is going to... I don't know whether there are a few people that, from Church House that do listen to this podcast who may now be switching off. Graham might be one of those moments, yeah. A worthy sacrifice, to be fair. Diehard denier, we call him. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Diehard skeptic. Diehard skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his own TikTok page. So that sets the tone ready for Christmas. Yeah, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, it's cold enough, isn't it? It is cold enough. Yeah. Uh, Die Hard, a Christmas film or not Christmas film? Don't like Die Hard. But is it a Christmas film? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I've only seen it once, and that was when my husband forced me to watch it. So And you didn't enjoy it? I didn't I, enjoy it, I'm not it, no. a great fan of the film, to be fair, but it's the, yeah, I, I have to. <laughs> I, it's funny, one of those films, it's like, it's also, there's a question mark, because it's always on isn't it? A bit like Love Actually, which is a Christmas film. That's definitely a Christmas film. But that is all, that's on at different times of the years. You can suddenly go to BBC 12 or, or you know, Drama UK or whatever these TV channels are, and Love Actually is on at 7 o'clock on a June the 13th. So just because it's on at other times of the year doesn't one way or the other. Yeah, well, that, I think that we can agree on that. We've got Great. Well, yeah. sometimes we agree on that. And it would be in our pre-Christmas film. My husband makes us watch a Christmas film every night from the 1st of December, and that's the first one he wants to watch. So. Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, that's so, a good man. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the mouth of a vicar. And so it's true. Um, so what other films do you watch between the 1st of December and Christmas then? Um, we just look for anything that's Christmassy. So one night, my husband has a choice. The next night, I have a choice. So he watches all the action Christmas films and right. things like Home Alone. And I watch anything that's kind of romantic, you know, set in kind of, you know, Elfland or whatever. Okay, brilliant. Favourite favorite one of those? Um, well, I would say Love Actually is probably my favourite Christmas film. Yeah. Oh, look at that face. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> but the Christmas Carol, is that on the list? Uh, yes, I love A Christmas Carol. Brilliant film. Yes. Brilliant film. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get on to introducing our guests. So you've heard that Eleanor Robert Shaw. It's good to have you with us. Uh, so Ellen, you've got a fantastic, very Yorkshire-based uh, bio. I'm going to skim over for now, but we'll come back to some sort of key points. Uh, so Eleanor was born in Sheffield and grew up in Maltby. Uh, was a member of the choir at St. Bart's Maltby as well. Uh, studied a BA in Religious Studies from Bangor University and then trained as a teacher at Leeds Uni and also has a Master of Theology at Bangor. Um, She's had a sort of long teaching career, but went forward for ordination and was ordained as a deacon in 2010 at Sheffield Cathedral, at serving curacy in Stainforth, Doncaster. And she was ordained a year later as a priest at St. Mary Stainforth. Uh, during a curacy, she did a placement with the Reverend Eve uh, Atherfold. Is that the right That's right, yes. In the Fish Lake Parishes. Uh, she was appointed as team rector of Great Snaith in 2013, elected to General Synod in 2015. And in 2021, was elected to serve on the Church of England uh, Pension Board. She's married to Paul, who's a Roman Catholic, has a fur baby, Millie, who I've been lobbying to bring in, but I don't think she's quite well-behaved enough. She's very naughty. Yeah, but a gorgeous Westie, I've seen the photos, Absolutely. yes. Beautiful dog. 
Her interests include knitting, crochet, a dabbles in a bit of needlework and is a novice sewer and enjoys meeting up with friends and going on holidays. Eleanor, welcome. Thank you. Uh, fair to say as well, you're an honorary canon as well of Sheffield Cathedral. An honorary canon of Sheffield Cathedral, a really great uh, privilege and, uh, uh, well, just wonderful thing to happen, really. That was last year, wasn't it? The that was last year, last November, yes. I remember we've had a conversation because you're very proud of uh, Doncaster in particular. I remember when Doncaster became a city last year, I perhaps naively said to clergy, like, oh, does that mean the uh, Minster's going to be a cathedral? And people say, no, 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 no. But you had a loophole, which could mean it could be a cathedral. Is that right? Um, there's the thing, isn't there, um, that wherever the bishop's chair is, wherever the cathedral is, is the cathedral. So um, in the war, um, the cathedral was taken out of Sheffield uh, Cathedral and it was actually stored in Snaith Priory uh, during the duration of the war. So I would argue that actually Snaith Priory was the cathedral uh, of the diocese during the war. But I think there's probably other reasons uh, why it wasn't. But I like to think that anyway. Maybe we could lobby for that to uh, have a comeback and have it as one of the bishop seats. Have multiple bishop <laughs> seats. What, Snaith Priory? Yay! <laughs> Uh, also, just one thing um, to pick up, uh, one of the things we've talked about before on the podcast with guests like Father Grant, for example, uh, is sort of ecumenical family makeups and how interesting that is. You mentioned here that uh, your husband Paul's a Roman Catholic, and that's a really interesting sort of dynamic. What's that kind of like on a, a day-to-day level? Yeah, um, it was interesting at first because um, his mum is a Northern Irish Roman Catholic as well. Um, and so I think she was she was quite shocked at first that uh, he was in a relationship with somebody who was uh, in in her eyes a Protestant. Um, but actually, we we get we get beyond that. We 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 look and say it's the same God. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. And we also think about how uh, blessed we are because actually, if it had been twenty years ago in Northern Ireland, uh, we would have had a relationship that was was effectively forbidden. Um, and so basically we just we just get on with it and Paul is retired and therefore an unpaid um, uh, administration officer for the Church of England and he he just just gets on with stuff and uh, does lots of stuff basically for the good of God we, we get beyond that you must have some great sort of intellectual discussions as well um yeah I think probably it uh, it ends up with me saying well of course I'm a reformed catholic and him saying no you're not a reformed catholic you're a protestant uh so we we do have those kind of discussions and there are also of course subjects that we we don't particularly engage in so we have very different uh, views particularly on abortion uh, and that's just something we don't discuss because we're never going to get to an agreement on that so growing up around here so you grew up, you're born in Sheffield Maltby Comp did you think at any point that, do you know what, that Sheffield Cathedral, I'm going to end up being um, part of that whole setup? Was that something that was aspirational for you? Or would, would the young Eleanor have just run 100 miles from that, got very red in the face and thought, that's not happening? Well, I felt called to be a vicar from about the, well, to be a priest from about the age of um, 14 when I was in the church choir. Uh, so I was known at school as the uh, as the Bible basher, uh, and people used to walk behind me singing all things bright and beautiful because uh, they'd see me in the choir at at church, uh, which was quite embarrassing, you know, when they'd been to weddings. Um, I I never thought that obviously I would be a canon of Sheffield, um, but but I did I did pray and hope that one day um, I, I would be a priest. Uh, and I think everybody at school probably knew that eventually I would go that way because although I was very, very shy at school, um, I did uh, one year lead the Christmas carol service. And you can imagine a bunch of 15-year-olds at Maltby Comp who were all a bit 
knocked off for being there uh, and me standing at the front leading them in prayer which was which was probably quite a brave thing to do uh, when I was that age um but but yeah uh, I didn't probably think that I would have uh, been uh, have the ability to be on something like general synod or uh, it was a kind of school where it wasn't cool to work hard um and also there were quite low aspirations so I suppose you didn't expect to get to get anywhere really so did you did you we have a number of people on the podcast who've had specific experience you know they've just gone from from not not being interested in God to moving straight to some experience of God and, and we've had others that like you know members of my family who've just been bored I mean going to church is just part of their life and and that's always been the part of their experience so were you a church girl from a young age to get to that 14 year old in the choir or did you just suddenly trot off down to the church I'm going so um, my mum in the 1970s was very brave because she refused to have me baptised. Uh, they weren't a religious family um, and so they, they didn't do that. Um, and then there was a youth holiday with the church um, when I was uh, about 10 and we were part of that. Um, and my mum had had a, a bit of a, a faith journey. Uh, that's how we came to be there. Um, and from there, I, I joined the church choir. And uh, so my faith really developed in, in that church choir. And I used to watch the priest, Alan Davis, on a, on a Sunday morning preside. And I used to think, wow, one day, you know, I believe God wants me to do that. Um, uh, so so it wasn't, a, a, I'm not a cradle Christian in the sense that um, I wasn't baptised as an infant. Um, but that journey started probably when I was 12, when I was baptised. And we've had a number of, of, of women who've felt that call pre the possibility of that call happening. You know, we talk, we've spoken about Amanda and a number of other people like Chris Lowe recently have, have felt that massive call on their life. This is what God wants me to be. But at that point would have faced that obstacle. So what did that feel like, that journey around there from sitting there looking at the priest thinking, I, I think God wants me to be that because that's what you're saying mm. really is I think God's calling me to that how does that work out so that little bit of a journey for you what was that like yeah so I suppose uh, my mum was always very pro um pro women priests um and uh, she's she's a proper feminist I'm not um and <laughs> so so it was I was very brought up in a feminist environment so I never really doubted that one day that that would happen uh that the women would be allowed to become priests and I remember the day when the vote happened at General Synod and me and my mum just skipped around the the house crying um, but I suppose it didn't really cross my mind that that meant that my calling could could happen. I, I suppose it was quite separate to that. Um, but I, I never really thought it wouldn't happen, which was probably quite naive, really. I think one of the nice things about that image you mentioned, skipping with your mum at that news, it's linking with what Bishop Sophie said as well. She said she'd run around the village where she was when she heard the news. Didn't necessarily know that she was going to go into ordination, but just the fact the news for other women who knew straight away that was such a positive thing. Um, one of the things you mentioned well in your bio is that vocational conversations have helped lead you towards that. Uh, if Dan Christian's listening, he'll be very pleased to hear that. Uh, just go into a bit more detail about uh, those sort of conversations you had. So um, I, I had a lot of false starts with, with vocations. 
Um, so I first went to see the DDO when I was about uh, 20 and that was quite a scary experience. It was your typical Church of England, uh, kind of went to a very big house and saw a very experienced man who kind of looked me up and down. Um, and that, that was really nerve wracking and that kind of put me off in lots of ways. He, he said, oh yeah, the Church of England will probably ordain you, but you know, you're only 20, go away and have a life. Um, and I think at that point, we didn't ordain people in the 20s. We sent them away. Um, and it was hard at the time. But actually, I'm so glad that I had a career as a teacher because I learned so much. Um, and then I had another experience with the DDO, which didn't go very well. Um, and then <laughs> for, for lots of reasons, which is not very tactful to say in this podcast. Um, and then um, Joanne Grenfell came in as the, as the DDO. And she just rang me out of the blue and said, you know, you're on file. Uh, would you be interested in the vocational conversation? Um, and from that, within three years, I was ordained. So it, it was it was a really, everything just fell into place at the right time, which I think it always does in God's time, doesn't it? So it was a frustrating time in my 20s, uh, but also the experience that I gained from being a teacher just has, has informed so much that I do now. Do you ever sort of miss your days as a teacher or do you feel that in your role, you know, as someone who's been ordained, that you, you're kind of carrying that on anyway? Um, I don't miss the day-to-day -day being an RE teacher because basically um, kids didn't like the subject and it felt like it was 10 years of kids coming in going, oh, this subject's rubbish, miss. Um, but what I do miss is um, my forms. I had two forms that I took from year 7 to 11 and I suppose that's where my pastoral side came out. I um, absolutely loved those kids and I found everything something in every single kid that I could that I could love um and when they left at the end of the year 11 they were fine I was a complete mess I was crying because I was so sad to see them go um so I miss that day-to-day -day interaction and the things that teenagers say are just so hilarious so so I miss that and I miss my colleagues the school that I worked at um was led by somebody who was a complete atheist um but he led a school that was so Christian in its in its values of how we treated one another and I always look to him as somebody who um, taught me how to be a Christian leader even though he would say he was an atheist and he didn't have any time for God so it was it was it was a really great time in that sense um, so yeah I do miss bits but not much. It's interesting what you said about the the sort of atheist leader I think one thing you can learn I mentioned off there about um Tom Holland's Dominion book, which I think is a really interesting read, but he mentions that even a lot of strong atheists throughout history actually have had either directly or indirectly an influence from a Christian heritage. I think it's interesting that's sort of been born out of that school as well. Mm. Do you think he would acknowledge that or do you think he might say, oh no, that's not the case? He would probably acknowledge that he was a, a kind of, he was a very kind of moral leader and also the fact that he also worked as a team. Um, so he probably would acknowledge that when we when we got after 20 years of him as head, when, when we got an outstanding Ofsted, he came into the staff room and he said, this isn't my outstanding. This is everybody's outstanding. And that is so rare in a head teacher to, to make a comment like that. So I think he probably would see that. And bless him, when I was ordained priest, he actually came to the ordination, which was so, so wonderful. Um, so, yeah. And part of your um, role now is is training as well. So you've taken those lessons that you learned and stuff and in your own case. So you've got two curates that you're a training incumbent. So how does that fit in? Is that something that really brings you great joy as you go forward or is it a pain when they turn up? It's, it's just the best thing ever. <laughs> I absolutely love being a training incumbent. 
um, because, you know, some people say, oh, when you get a curate, you can feel very undermined because often they're better than you at things. Um, but what I love is that actually you get to see them go from perhaps being quite nervous when they start to by the end, absolutely flying. So uh, my first curate, Diane, who's now in Durham Diocese, um, we we just worked together so well. We're, we're lifelong friends now. And, and to watch her sort of flourish and take her own parish is wonderful. Um, and the same with, with Michael and Chris. And I just learned so much from them as well. Um, you know, that their different life experience and how they do things. So, for instance, when Michael does a wedding, when he does uh, the vows, he says them very quietly. So you hear the bride and groom, not the priest. And it never occurred to me before to do that. But now I'm like, that's a really good idea because they're not here to hear me. They're here to hear the bride and groom. Uh, and Chris, uh, we actually went to the same school. We didn't know each other uh, at the time, but he we went to the same school at the same time. And I've learned so much from him about um, he, he's from quite a working class background about working class culture and how uh, that can sometimes be difficult in the Church of England. So there's so much to learn. Yeah, there's a lot of work being done around barriers to entering the Church of England. And we often think of certain barriers. I'm from pretty middle class, um, working class origins, but very middle class upbringing. And I, and I recognize that myself, definitely in my kids. And we talk around barriers around that. But there's a lot more work being done around deprived barriers and working class barriers isn't it poverty is as, as big a barrier as, as some of the other cultural differences and stuff that we we see in the past there's quite a lot of work being done so so give us some lessons that you're learning around that of what sort of barriers there are to people coming to church so I suppose it's a lot about isn't it I, I would always say oh I'm quite working class but but I'm really not um you know nice middle class upbringing and I suppose there's there's some of the expectations, isn't there? I mean, our, our liturgy is is very wordy. And yet I know that a lot of people who I taught really struggled with reading. Um, and so that that's that's certainly a barrier. And then you have the kind of things where you have a do at church and it's £10. And a lot of people would think nothing of that. And yet actually for somebody who um, who is struggling um, financially, that's a huge amount of money to pay out to come and... You know, yes, it's nice to give it to the church, but actually that could go on something far more important. Um, and there's just the thing about about accent as well. I have quite a northern accent. And one of the things that gets pointed out to me quite often when I'm at Synod is, oh, you do sound northern. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like you have to get rid of that. And I think, no, no, celebrate, celebrate that, I think. Yeah, I've just read a book called Divides, which talks about that, that relationship. It's a, the guy, the pastor who's wrote it came from a very dysfunctional family. And, and one of the things that blew my socks off about the third chapter, and he talks about bring and share. And, you know, we think coming again from this whole house church movement where bring and share is this big thing. He talks about the bring and share middle class lunch that comes out, all the quiches and the salads. And he said some of his friends just couldn't come to that because they didn't have anything that they could bring and felt incredibly embarrassed. And also then felt slightly patronized when everyone said, oh, that's fine. Come and have some of my quiche. You know, it was just stuff that we don't think about, is it, that it's that can be real barriers to, to people coming forward. And I must admit, um, I did my uh, parish placement when I was training at All Saints Ecclesall, um, and it did make me smile because uh, culturally, when you're from Maltby, you don't eat olives. Um, and, <laughs> and everywhere I went... That's the comment of the day. 
That's the headline when we post this. So. Right, that's going all over TikTok. Yeah. And I absolutely hate olives as well. But everywhere I went when I was on placement at Ecclesall, people said, oh, would you like some olives? And I was like, no, no, thank you. No, I don't like them. You don't like olives. And I felt like I was being forced to eat olives of, of different descriptions. Um, and I think, again, we, we, do, we do forget that, 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 you know, that kind of culture is not, not everybody's. I don't like cheese, so I always have that question thrown at me. Oh my goodness, you don't like cheese? No, I'm doing it. No, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Sort of, what, any sort of cheese. Here we go, yeah. Um, well, I like cheesecake, but that doesn't taste like cheese. Okay. Yeah. So, so this everything... is my confession to the podcast. A lot of my colleagues know this. I'm friends, but... Uh, okay. Yeah. So we are going to go off into a middle-class moment. For everything from cheddar to, to brie to stilton, none of them. No. I mean, I like maybe cheddar crisps, but again, that's not. it doesn't count. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, this isn't about cheese. No. Or about me and you. <laughs> um, Ellen, one of the things I've noticed, I think it's fair to say you're very good at affirming people and building them up. One of the joys I've had with the social media accounts is often when there's been a notification on what was Twitter, now X, I think, oh, who's this going to be? Is it going to be something negative? And it can be you very enthusiastically uh, have a photo of someone sort of celebrating the event. Has that been a big part of your ministry? Yes, I think so. Um, I, I um, am particularly um, overwhelmed by um, Keith Lunn, our focal minister, his calling to ministry, which came out of the fact that one carol service I'd got a sore throat and couldn't take the service, and he stepped in. Um, and from that, we we together discerned a call, and it's been so, so amazing to see uh, Keith flourish and, again, in lots of ways, do things a lot better than I do. Um, and it's just it's just so special to see god god working in him so i i just love i just love to celebrate when people people do things well and to also remind myself that you know i am a control freak but actually it's good to step back sometimes because it gives other people opportunities um so so yeah i i just i just i just love that i think it's pride in your heritage as well and in yorkshire and one of the things we always try and say is that you know the dice of sheffield such a diverse area Sheffield itself is fantastic. We're always trying to say we're not just Sheffield-centric. Whether it's through our good news stories or indeed guests on the podcast, I think you're a good exponent of that. Well, uh, Keith has actually got a little hashtag, which is get, get Great Snaith on the map. Because we are so far north in this diocese, people will say to me, sorry, are you in the Diocese of Sheffield? And I think, well, why am I at this training if I'm not in the Diocese of Sheffield? Um but I think I think it is important to acknowledge, you know, we aren't just Sheffield, and uh, we we do we do we are very different, but we are diverse. So so yeah, I think I think it's quite special that we that we try to show those things happening that aren't in in Sheffield itself. I think that's a really important thing that we've got to sort of be mindful of. Ellen, if we could come on to one of the things you said beforehand, you're very happy to talk about mental health in particular. I know it's an important topic to you, um, and it's been um, sort of a key moment in your life as well. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. So. Um, uh, in 2018, um, so almost out of the blue, um, I I was overtaken by this this awful feeling of of anxiety and and that I just couldn't couldn't go on. I actually woke up one Sunday morning and it, I was too frightened to get out of bed, which is just for me was the weirdest thing ever. Um, and what what transpired really was that um, I, I'd almost burnt myself out by. Um, just not taking days off by being being daft and um and I, at that point it was so frightening because obviously when you're a when you're a clergy person um you live in a house that goes with your job I don't have my own house the thought was you know what what's going to happen if I can't continue in this job I'm going to be homeless 
Um, and I had six weeks um, off work um, with sort of generalised um, anxiety. Um, but what helped me get back to to where I am now really is is how our diocese responded to that situation. People could have said, well, you're a failure. You've gone off with stress. But actually the bishop, the archdeacon all wrote to me and said, this isn't a failure. You're just very tired. Go away and, and get yourself better and don't feel that you've let anybody down. Um, I accessed the uh, the counselling that we can access as well, which was just an absolutely wonderful gift. Um, and also my curate, Diane, was just, just amazing at the time and got everybody to leave me alone. Um, and coming out of that, the other side, I'm a, I'm a changed person. Um, but also I feel now that I can say to people that when they uh, do get affected by stress, um, that actually you feel you're never going to get out of that place, but actually you can and you do get back. You're a different person, but you are you are back there. And I think now the fact that we have our associate archdeacons who come to talk to us, you know, once a month and whatever, is a huge benefit to avoiding getting to that burnout place because actually we're able to share things that are difficult, how we're feeling, um, and so ours, Clive, is just is just fabulous. I can't speak highly enough of him, and he'll give me the ten pounds for saying that later. Clive Hogger, one of our associate archdeacon uh, transition enablers. I think that's fantastic that you were so supportive. That's really encouraging to hear. But what was interesting, what you said, I think that is important is for people struggling with mental health anxiety is not to think that they're a failure. Mm. I think that can be quite a destructive thing, a natural emotion to feel perhaps when you're in that place. But it's something that you know shouldn't be focused on. Absolutely. Um, and somebody did say to me, oh, don't tell your congregation what's wrong with you because they will think you're a failure. And actually, I thought, no, I'm going to be completely open with the congregation. Um, and actually, um, it, it opened many doors for me because when I did come back, people were more open about their own mental health. And I, I'm quite open about the fact that I take um, citalopram. Um, and um, we we almost got to the place where we were in a confession where people would come to me at the end of the service and say, I take them too. Um, so we opened the doors for people to talk about mental health, which I think is, is really important. And, and nobody who gets stressed or has anxiety is ever a failure. It's just a, a way of how we live, isn't it? It's a massive change, isn't it, in society, really? You know, <clears throat> I'm old enough to to remember the days when this was just not talked about and if it was it would have been in very hushed tones behind your hand to say oh, she's got problems you know and it's it's just it doesn't it just comes from nowhere doesn't it in some respect you don't know this is going to happen to you i look back over my life of running a business and, and bringing up family and stuff and i look back at times when i think i was just all over the place but being you know an old white bloke just would not have entered my head and yet my kids now are much more open to talk about that and it's massively important vickers um suffer from this a lot don't they because they have to be all things to all people don't they all the time everything from betty's dog to what the next theology you know you see on synod what's happening there you know and so what's your sort of tips and hints for that and how to get through that is it to talk about it early is it just to be open what what do you think what would you recommend to your incumbents coming through I think I think it is about talking about it and finding um obviously we've got the associate archdeacons which is fantastic but also finding um your own uh, support network um which is really important to be able to meet with them to talk with them um and also actually now I've been in the parish such a long time um I, I'm I'm quite 
open with with the people in the congregation it's, it's not always possible but I will say to people actually I'm really tired or I've got really a lot on this work week and they they actually really support me as well there was one couple who when I was poorly who actually spent an hour just ministering to me and explaining you know they'd had difficult times and uh, you know but they got through it so I, th- I think it is just just being able to talk about it and having people that you trust to 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 talk to too, and it does make such a difference having um, people uh, in authority who are supportive of that as well. There's a culture here that does make it okay to talk about things like that, which I don't think is necessarily in every diocese. And rest days must be really important for clergy as well. I'm really rubbish at rest days, and that's something I still haven't learned. Um, uh, it's it, it's quite it's quite hard because I don't always get to go out on my day off, and sometimes I think, oh, well, I'll just get on with that. I'll just get on with that. And also, um, a lot of inquiries come through social media, and before I've even thought about it, I'm booking in a baptism um, while I've you know watching Netflix or something on my day off. So that's something I still I still need to work on. Um, and I think I think yeah, that that is an important thing, and rest is very important. It is tempting, is it, just to check your work emails you can't help it it's almost an instinctive thing uh, and I think it's just trying to resist that temptation isn't it it's absolutely trying to resist that temptation because usually I'll check it and then I'll get wound up about something and then that's the day gone isn't it so <laughs> <laughs> Elnut, one thing as well from your bio I want to touch on uh, so you've, you've spoken really well about your teaching background your ordination uh, you were part of St Bart's Maltby uh, choir so we've you've talked a lot about um, what first sort of drew to ordination when did you first sort of take an interest in, in music and in singing um, that the choir was what brought me to brought me to the church. Um, I suppose um, my mum was always singing, so we were always quite singing. I'm, I'm no, I'm not a very good musician, but I can hold a tune. Um, so, so it was a way, it was a way into church because in 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 the eighties, you know, the choir had adults in, but it also had a lot of children in. I suppose that's something we often miss now, um, but. But that opportunity to be in that choir together and then there was a youth group. So we just kind of, we kind of all sort of existed together. Um, And the singing was nice, but it was more the social side that came with it as well. And I still love, still love a good sing. I'm still not an excellent musician. Uh, But for me, singing is a massive part of worshipping God as well. It's, uh, you know, a service without song is a bit, you know, not as good as it might be. Do you have a sort of hymn-wise, do you have a, this is one of my generic questions, but do you have a preference in terms of style of hymns or do you like a sort of mix? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm quite traditional. Um, I love a good sort of hymns, ancient and modern kind of thing. Um, but uh, I do find, I suppose it's like with any hymns, uh, there are some hymns that last the test of time and there are some that, that don't. So some of the modern worship songs, which wouldn't be my place that I would ordinarily go to, there are some gems in there. And so you will hear me humming them, and I check myself. I think oh, I'm singing a worship song, um, and uh, but 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 they will last the test of time. Um, so you know I am open to to doing those as well. And um, my husband did re- run our choir at uh, at Snaith for a while, and he introduced lots of lots of worship songs because he knew I probably wouldn't like them very much. <laughs> it's true of all more musical genres, though, isn't it? I mean. People of my generation say, oh, the 80s was the best year. And I say, you know, go and look at Top of the Pops of the 80s. Some of it was absolutely woeful. And there was some great stuff. 60s, it's the same. And it's the same with worship, isn't it? I bet that there are some rubbish hymns that were written that we never sing. and Or actually we do. And then you sit through it and think, that's woeful. Same with modern worship songs, isn't it? Just 
listeners do not get your theology from worship songs. Don't get your theology from worship songs. <laughs> what I'm, I'm going to go all partridge in a minute. But these are the views of Paul Sheridan. They might not reflect the views of uh, our other I listeners. I do find it. I do find it frustrating though when I get people saying, "Oh." You know, they'll get their theology from a hill songs. And I'm thinking, okay, great. But that's not where it's coming from, guys. I think, it's, well, it's important you actually, because I always say you can get carried away with the tune because there are some great tunes, whether older or more modern. But we don't always actually pay attention to the lyrics. I think it is important we actually do focus on that as well. Absolutely. And I always think back to, we always used to ask our uh, choir master if we could sing God of Concrete, God of Steel, which seems to have not made it into the modern hymn books. Yeah, surprise that. <laughs> and we never actually ever sung it. But uh, yes, it's, it's of its time, isn't it? <laughs> well, some well carols that we'll be singing this month, you look at some of the wording of them and it's like, crikey, how, you know, Beyond being formal sort of language. No crying he makes. That's true. You know that. He didn't cry in the crib at all. <laughs> Jesus never cried. Yes, he was babies born. famously never cried. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> General Synod. I'd mm. say 2015 elected to General Synod. Was, did someone approach you? How did that ha- I'm interested in how that happens. Do you sort of uh, put your head above the parapet or does someone come to you quietly and say, we think you should be going to General Synod? You were obviously on Deanery Synod and moved on to that. But how did that happen for you? Um, so I was always interested in General Synod from uh, from the time of, of being ordained. Um, and the elections actually were just after, the, when I, the, the 2010 elections were just after I'd been ordained. And I thought, oh, I would like to stand for that. But, uh, but it's very hard to get elected when people don't know who you are. Um, and uh, so actually it was it was Canon Jeffrey Harbord who uh, who kind of nurtured my interest in General Synod and uh, he invited me to go and observe General Synod before I was a member and talk to me a lot about it. So when I came to stand in 2015, I had quite a quite a background in, in how it worked and what happened. Uh, but interestingly, at that point, I was the only woman who stood in the, the House of Clergy uh, um, and then again, this time there were two candidates, but but two women candidates, but one withdrew. Um, and so I suppose that was an advantage in in one way because the vote didn't get split. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just been something I, I've been I've been really interested in. And I mean, at the moment, it's not very pleasant because of the whole LLF thing. Um, but there are so many just wonderful nuggets of hearing about people's ministry across the country, um, even some of the debates on um, le- um, not surgical business on um, on on the law and things can be interesting. Um, but I think what I love most about it is the fact that you get to meet people from across the Church of England and find out what's happening in different parts of the country and 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 gain insights and take things back really. So. Uh, so yeah, at the moment it's hard, but most of the time I absolutely love going there. Yeah, fantastic. So there's lots of other things we could talk about, but I'd just like to dig into what you do in your pastimes because you said you said dabble a bit of needlework. I bet there's a lot more going on than that because I think you're a very busy person. There's always something going on. So how do you spend your spare time? Because it is really important for you to have that break time to come away from everything else you do because of, of you know where we've been and it's important for all of the clergy to do that so spare time what do you get up to so it was actually really came out of when I was not very well and then also out of covid and I find that um doing something uh, with with my hands like uh, cross stitch or uh, crochet or knitting um actually helps me relax because you've got to concentrate on what you're doing you can't start thinking 
um, about other things. So, so in my spare time, I do tend to try to physically do something um, that's that's very different. So at the moment, I'm knitting our curate Michael um, a jumper. Uh, which is he's commissioned. Does he, know? he does. Oh, yes, sure. yes. No, no, no. He commissioned me to knit this jumper. Um, so it's just something that that you've got to focus on because you've got to think about what you're doing, but also the repetitive, rhythmic kind of uh, it's quite it's quite prayerful. I suppose it's it's not unusual that in monastic life you do things that you know you pray, but you do things with your hands. You do work as well. Um, and also, uh, Diane um, has encouraged me to to try to learn to draw as well. Um, I'm an absolute duffer at drawing. Uh, but again, she says you've got to look really carefully. You've got to spend lots of time thinking about what you're doing. Uh, and so, again, that's a way to just escape from the stress and focus, focus on something. So, you know, the last thing I drew was a deer and it looked like a sort of, effeminate Mr. Tumnus uh, but it was it was um, you know it was an effort it was a good effort <laughs> can we see it well done yes that's, that's going to be the biopic yeah <laughs> I think he had two left legs as well we'll have to commission you for some more designs I think we in, will. The, in the I, comms office yeah we can have a words of grace jumper we can well if you could learn knit something from the existing logo which uh, Jason of course designed that would be great yeah and reading then so I always ask the reading question. Are you a reader? Um, I'm a audible listener. I don't. Oh, okay. If I'm honest, confession time. University killed any interest I had in reading books, um, which is a terrible thing. Um, so I, I find reading book just sends me to sleep. So I tend to to listen um, to things, but I don't have a very intellectual um, uh, listening uh, thing. If you looked at my audible, you'd probably be quite embarrassed no so let's go there then so um <laughs> what, what 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 have you been listening to recently Eleanor? except for words of grace <laughs> so um again it's escapism isn't it and i love history uh so my audible has a lot of those you know trashy novels set in the second world war uh that it's about people isn't it it follows the lives of people and says what happens to them and it's got a bit of history in there so yeah it's full it's full of those and every so often i might listen to uh, a more academic historic thing um, but there's that, and also I absolutely love Alan Bennett, so I listen Fantastic, yes. over and again to Alan Bennett's um, uh, stories, but also mostly his autobiographical stuff, Brilliant. which I love. Yeah. I really want to do the impression now, but I won't. Go on. Television and film-wise, do you have a, a particular genre that you prefer? Uh, costume dramas. Um, I love The Crown, although it's, it's gone a bit off towards yeah, the end yeah. it's, it's in living memory isn't it so it's not as good but that's a lot of interesting that a lot of people are saying that i i've not i think we watched a bit of the first series but yeah as a being a staunch republican i've not really wanted to go there particularly <laughs> but i just said that on in, <laughs> employed, edit this out. employed by the church of england yes. <laughs> you're non-conformist i am a non-conformist yeah. anyway um but yes a lot of people have said that the latest series because it's in living memory is much more difficult to to, to go with absolutely the diana moment for instance yeah yeah, I mean, that is so, so big in my memory. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when, when the early series were on, I was saying to my mum and dad, who that was in their living memory, oh, what do you think of this? And they're saying, oh, it's a bit of nonsense, really. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm at that point where I think, well, actually, no, this isn't how I remember it and whatever. Um, so, so yeah, but first, it's escapism. Yeah, first two seasons, I think, were the, the sort of peak of it, I think. I think uh, my favourite episode really is in the third series, uh, the Abavan uh, one, uh, right, um, which yeah. I... 
training you know doing my university in wales we did quite a lot on about that and um yeah that kind of reminds us about justice doesn't it and how we should uh, make sure that something like that never happens again um yeah definitely that was helpful for me you know for someone who's born in the 90s i wasn't actually aware of that disaster so watching that episode i know it's not a documentary of the crown but it then made me think right i can go over and actually look into this more so mm-hmm. i think it was a good episode in that respect. Yeah. yeah south wales boy very raw in the memory i and so yeah mentioned a lot yeah uh, just finally as well um in terms of secular music do you have a particular favorite band or artist um i love 60s music um so beatles uh during the pacemakers particularly love you'll never walk alone it's a highly spiritual song that um and don't yeah. get your theology from it though yeah <laughs> elder be very pleased if you yeah she that, loves though. that didn't she yeah yeah so yeah um but but we listen to most things up to up to 90s then uh, i get to be a bit of a fuddy-duddy um and i didn't like take that at the time but um looking back actually quite like that as well and even um even i always pronounce it wrong is it ed sheeran oh, not no. sheeran oh oh i love ed sheeran oh, oh never mind that's that's a sad <laughs> note to end on <laughs> we can't end there no we can't my kids will kill me they listen to this podcast and they'll kill me now that we've mentioned ed sheeran on the podcast one more follow-up question go on paul you i'm trying that. to think of a follow-up <laughs> well, question have you listened to supermarket flowers that is one of the most popular funeral songs and it's absolutely beautiful um and you know so a lot of people do choose that it's all about it's all about your mum passing away there's a follow-up question i can think of then um have you had any other sort of unusual on the surface requests for sort funeral songs any sort of unusual asks yeah best one ever was um ring of fire at the crematorium (laughs) it was absolutely brilliant because we we pressed play and um everybody was just falling about laughing uh, so, so yeah, that's that's a great one. Uh, but also, uh, I did the funeral of somebody um, who um, I'd not checked what it was at the crematorium, and it was Snooker Loopy. And I pressed play, and I just burst out laughing. It was absolutely brilliant. Wow, so what people, a song. Choose, people choose some absolutely brilliant things. It's that's ace. Alan, it's been great to have you on the on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming into Church no, Thank you. All the way from out into the wilds of the diocese to come this distance to talk to us. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's nice to be back in the hometown. That's <laughs> <Much> appreciated. <laughs> uh, next, uh, after this podcast, Ben, it's going to be our Christmas special, I think, isn't it? It is, last one of the year. Yeah. Um, hymns on the Harp, or Carols on the Harp. Yes, hopefully. Hannah's on board for that, definitely. And great, and a few other things. Bit of A bit of a crowd in for a bit of uh, mince pies and a bit of schlur, as a Christian do. Yes. You and I will be on the gin early, but everyone else will <laughs> be on the schlur. That's right, isn't it? Uh, Yes, are we allowed to say that? But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't care anymore. It's coming to Christmas. <laughs> but also, we'll have a we'll have a break after that. But we'll be back on Tuesday, the 9th of January. Uh, yeah. We've got quite a few guests lined up already in January, ready to go. Ben has worked very, very hard on new guests being lined up. We've got some great guests coming up. Some big, big names. Definitely, uh, we've got like so Chris Stebbing, uh, Christine Gore, Sir Chris Stebbing. Did you Sir say? Chris? No, but uh, are Just we? Call him Sir is that going to happen? Now. Is that a rumor? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Uh, Christine Gore, of course, as well. Yeah. Uh, Andy Brewerton. Fantastic. Uh, we'll have Archbishop Stephen as well. We're trying oh, to find. You let that out of the bag very quick, there, didn't you? I was going to keep that till after the New Year, but you've put it out there. Oh, we can cut that bit out if you want. Okay. No, Archbishop Stephen's definitely. Yes, paid. we're trying to finalise a date, so it's not set in stone yet. But there's, um, he's definitely up for it. So we're, we're looking forward to having him on. Very much friend of the podcast. Alan, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Nice to see you, Ben. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye.